Hey everybody, welcome to episode 5 of the Wise Rock Podcast, the tech podcast you didn't know you weren't missing. This is Eric Uzwa along with my co-host Jeff Horton. How's it going today, Jeff? I'm good, I'm good, Eric. We both survived our dystopian week that we promised last week. Yes, everything. I threw out all, all the little used Kleenexes and everything, so. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's great, you know. And even then, the, the forest fire, we got some rain here today, so dystopia is over for 24 hours. Turn a corner. Greece so, has turned a corner, maybe. Maybe, maybe. So now we can come back to the, the utopian future that we promised. Yes. Right? And what, what utopian future looks like in, in software and systems and other things to us. So I'd like to start with cloud you know, DevOps kind of work. So we have GitHub, hosts all your code. Yep. We have things like Circle CI for doing all your you know builds, running tests. We deploy everything in the cloud. You can use webhooks or other things. Everywhere yeah. you want. Everything builds end-to-end, magically deploys if it works. But you, the developer, are still buying a fast box, picking your IDE of choice, and sitting there developing wherever you are. So That's why right. is that piece not moving? I don't know if it's if it's that's technology driven or if it's people driven. I wonder if it's if it's just us. Us meaning us the developers in quotes, holding back something like that from moving forward. Maybe. Like I, I, admittedly, I'm like I'm a Vim guy, and I'm using Notepad, yep. you know, things like that. Uh, but you know, you look at something like uh, I don't know if you know CodePen, right? CodePen, you know, gives you those three tabs, especially if you're doing web stuff. Yep. It makes it really easy. And if we look at the uh, the Atom editor that's out, that's all just you know, browser technologies anyway that you're running on your desktop. That's right. So again, once you're once you're bringing all of those technologies to your desktop, you're still saving locally only to push back up. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, maybe, like, I know you're a Visual Studio guy. Used to be, yeah. Used Use to that be. a lot. So, the Microsoft even has their editor in the cloud, right? There's a Visual Studio, I think, in the cloud you can use now to do some stuff. Yes, yeah. I haven't actually given it a shot, but I know what you're talking about, yeah. So, that would seem to take some of those edges off. But, and so maybe that's it. We, we, when we talk about the piece of the utopian future that's missing, we do everything in the cloud except for develop. So, when we develop... You're still building locally. We're trying to build you various VMs and images so that you yeah. can run your server locally to get that full experience. But then everything goes off and runs somewhere else. So, you know, is it just you, the developer, like you said? Uh, you know, years ago, I uh, I was doing you know, remote editing, you know, Vim, things like that, directly on the server. You know, right. these were not necessarily production servers. You know, yeah, there was some of that. This was the 90s. It was okay then. Yeah. But we also did some, you know, we'd have a, a, a test server that I would just remote into and do the edits there. You know, I was using Subversion in those days and those kinds of things. But I already was working remotely, but it was out of favor a long time ago, maybe for some different reasons. But if we go back to, you know, kind of before client server took over, that was always the way. Yeah. Right? You're always in a remote terminal somewhere doing your work. You were never you were never really local. Oh, that's right. Back in the old terminal days. Yeah. Yeah. Dumb terminal, I should say. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And and um, I think, like you say, with advances and things like, like Atom, um, those kind of editors, the, the approach they're taking, I think we're slowly going to move there, at least for um, JavaScript is probably the easiest kind of technology to advance that way. I still think when you're dealing with native, on the native side, then I don't see how, you know, unless you have uh, uh, native VMs that you're remote, remoting into to, to do all your building in your VM. Not your VM. Do your building, 
do your uh, um, development and all that kind of stuff remotely. And I, I don't know if it's also a just a, a weird stigma of of that type of way of working. You know what I mean? Like it's again, I wonder if it's, it's if it's more people driven than technology driven because yeah. we definitely but, have so the that, technology. So it's just it. If we you know you're you're a boy there. If we yep. taught him programming, we were talking about that MIT. I forget the exact name of it now for the uh, Android apps. Oh yeah, the App Inventor. Yeah. The App Inventor, right? So yep. if we started him in App Inventor, right, and said, yep. you know, look, you do all your stuff in here, you do all your development, and you just get a file to put onto your phone. And even then, that App Inventor, if you want to, here's one little program that you install to let App Inventor talk directly to the phone, That's so right. that you get That's that right. debug experience. So if he starts there. And then three years down the road, we're like, okay, look, this was actually dumb. You need to install all of this stuff. Right. You right. need to get Android Studio. And you need to get Android Studio SDKs running. You need to get, yeah. you know, native kit running. You need to. Oh, and by the way, it's all webby too, so you need to get Node and all this other stuff. You need to install all these things on your machine and then lug it around with you and keep track of versions locally. I'm pretty sure if he started with App Inventor, he's going to look at us and say, look, this is really dumb. Yeah. Yeah. And what? And what is it gaining? What is what what is the win for him, right? Like he he can open up his browser and he's already starting. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, and I'm I never looked at at App Inventor before before uh, my son started doing it, and I was pretty impressed with the amount of you know I mean obviously there's a few limitations of, of things you can achieve in it, but at the same time, um, just being able to click, drag and drop, add some conditionals and logic, um, and you're running, you're off to the races. Yeah. But uh, but even with those limitations. Yeah. You know, what are we talking about? Today we're talking about the limitations where you as a native developer say, oh, I can't put in some code. Well, that that's not a, a big bridge to cross. Right, right. It'll get there. It'll get there. Yeah, I, I mean, like right now, a lot of it is very, um, it's a very GUI-driven type of environment. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't want to say VB-like. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I mean, there, there's uh, echoes, echoes of the old Visual Basic. Yeah. coming into play there where you 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 know and that was the that was the biggest win that Microsoft put together in those days was VB you drag and drop a few controls on a form you hook up you know little snippets of code to what you want to run and within a day or two you've got you know you've solved the problem that you you needed to tackle right mm -hmm. it wasn't elegant it wasn't the best but it, it did everything right well so um, so maybe this is it is the problem that that is hard to be elegant when you're when you're remoting into something, right? Because you know an editor's just an editor, yeah, right. Yeah. And so that's that's really my question: is that if as soon as you commit that code, everything else in that process is happening somewhere else anyway. Yeah. Why are you still fighting so hard to have Xcode installed or Visual Studio installed? Is the bar really that high? And admit, you know, I worked in IntelliJ for a long time. Yeah. And you can do some great and fancy stuff, right? search and change and all those other things. But none of that seemed terribly difficult, you know, to do in the cloud somewhere, right? Right, right. Well, and I think at the at the time, obviously, there wasn't the, the kind of tech we have today. Um, like, again, we, you know, Docker seems to come up in the news every couple of days. But, yeah. I mean, we've got, we've got those kind of, you know, there was even a post uh, just yesterday on Hacker News about setting up your own Azure, not Azure, it was your own Amazon instance for doing um, 3D gaming from your Mac. Yeah, yeah, the updated post. Yeah, that was a great one. I, re I read the first one. The updated one is even better. And he's got That's a whole right. AMI now at the bottom. That's right. You That's can just right. start it. I mean, it, it's all there. I mean, you're streaming, every, you're doing everything. You know, it, five five years ago, this was unheard of. 
Um, yeah. Like it was, you know, that it was madness, madness, you know, crazy to talk about things like that. Um, it's got to be local for, especially for graphics and that kind of thing. And, you know, yesterday all of a sudden, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm running better frame rates from my cloud. You know, granted, you, you have to be close to, you know, it, it all, all depends entirely on your connection. But, mm. you know, at the same time, I mean, just the fact that it's possible. Yeah, I think is is really showing the way, right? Showing the future. Yeah, and so that's the thing, though. If we were talking about, I forget what game it was. I want to say The Witcher or something, something right. very like, intense. Yeah, it was a battlefield or some one of those yeah. first person shooters. Yeah. And so if we're talking about that, you know, we can process that remotely. We can stream it. We can deal with all of that for you know fifty seven cents an hour. Yeah. I find it hard to believe that you're going to tell me Visual Studio, right, is more intense. That's right. <laughs> Maybe it is, no, right? <laughs> well, it's that IntelliSense. Once that IntelliSense kicks in, holy smokes. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I, um, in Notepad, I've had some trouble with the uh, the autocomplete. It gets pretty intense sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and, and you know, this really wide-reaching kind of um, effects here. Like, why would I buy a souped-up machine when I can just buy a dumb terminal that connects to my Amazon cloud? Yeah. And have everything there, right? For for pennies, for for fifty cents an hour or a day or whatever, whatever it ends up being for what I want to run on it, right? Yeah. So it's so the thing, right. but like in lots of other works you do, in uh, you know, in Calgary Oil and Gas and the oil business, a huge amount of those workers, you know, SAP workers, all kinds of other stuff, they're already remote. They don't know yeah. it, but they're you know, most of them are they're using a Citrix or a remote desktop That's every right. day. It's just part of their login. Oh yeah, no, I, but they're right. But the visual look and feel is is hasn't changed since like the '90s. Yeah. Like they sit down at their desktop, they log in, they you know whatever that kind of stuff. I don't know how often they they ever upgrade their computers. Well, for the most with, part, you with, you wouldn't need to, right? Or certainly right, cycles with, would with, be a lot less. That's right. With stuff like this, do you really need to? You know, and do they even? You're right. Like, do they even realize what's going on? What's happening behind the scenes? No, I don't think they do. And my understanding too is that. Uh, you know, friends at Incana, they've got some really heavy uh, virtualization going on, right? So they're moving, uh, you know, VM servers all over the place all day and night to maximize the resources. That's right. Yeah. I knew they started, uh, most of them, um, back a few years ago when I was working in, in those areas. A lot of them started working that down that, they were starting to go down that path even back then. Yeah. And they, they, they wanted, you know, I think at the time it was more for kind of, Security, centralization, control, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, versus, you know, I, I think the the unexpected benefit was, you know, being better for the worker. Yeah. Well, and lots of disaster recovery and things like that. That's right. Actually, that's right. Actually, so in Canada brings up another great point about optimist, optimized futures. For a long time, and maybe still today, they hit a huge cave. Right. This is the 3D virtualization room for digging through layers of oil and gas. Right. You could bring all that stuff in, you could walk into the room, put on your headset, look all over in the room. But, you know, obviously, like, just in, today in the uh, Best Buy flyer, there's a Samsung headset for $300. Yeah. Like, you know, I just walk... I think it's only online for now, but I could just order a VR headset. Yeah. So now, if I'm in Encana, I don't need to come to Calgary to step into the, you know, possibly hundreds of thousands of dollars a cave that needs to be updated all the time. Right, right, the right. virtual reality room, I could be sitting in Fort McMurray and could be sitting in my truck, right, just yeah. looking around at the field, right? Like we took all this data, 
you know, we sucked it out of the field this morning. We shipped it down there. Somebody chewed on it for a while. And here's the visualization back. I can look at it this afternoon. And that seems like a pretty optimized data and drilling experience. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, we'll be even closer to, uh, who knows, we'll be even closer to something like Jurassic Park, right? Where we're yeah. flying through the Unix system, you know? Uh, but joking aside, no, you're right. Um, you know, like it, it, it really opens up opportunities that, you know, I, I don't think we've really had a, even a chance to fully um, dream or explore yet. Yeah. Right. Like we're we're they're trying to you know they're trying to it, it's kind of a weird I I always find that the current VR stuff just in a weird place in the sense that you know they're they're trying to sell it as the next the next big thing the next generational thing but then at the same time they're not trying they're they're trying to not oversell it so when they, when they talk about um you know the Oculus and that kind of stuff um you know they they I think they they were overselling things like the Google Wave. Yeah. If you remember the Google Wave a few years ago, right? They were they were really amping on that, or Google Glass. Yeah. You know, they were really in, so. It, it just seems like you know maybe maybe whoever's in charge of the marketing for these, either at at, at Samsung or at, at um, Facebook for the Oculus or uh, Valve for their for their headset. You know, maybe they're they're trying to they're trying to you know excite people without I don't want to say overexciting, but without overpromising. And under delivering, right? Yeah. Well, we can all agree Google doesn't actually have a marketing department. Yeah. There's some engineers in the corner who are like, "I think this is cool. Let's tell people." <laughs> you end up there, right? You know, certainly, certainly Valve, you know, much more understands selling things. When we talk right. about Samsung, of course, you know, Samsung will have proper hardware marketing departments. That's that right. Understand right. how to put all these things together, and they would love to sell them. But so even in VR, though, you know, on the consumer VR. Sure, there's lots. We talk about Oculus. We talk about this stuff. But companies like, I want to say GE, right? You know, I was at conferences five, ten years ago where they were selling VR headsets. Yep. Right? You know, three-dimensional worlds for exactly this kind of cave experience we're talking about. But no one cared. Now, so is it as simple as, you know, if you've got a $100,000 cave and you can buy this $10,000, $20,000 piece from GE, maybe it's not worth it, right? But if you can buy it for five hundred and give it to the guy in the corner to try, you know, does it somehow become more valid? Or like a lot of technology changes, are we actually talking about not the technology has gotten better, but that the the imagination around it has finally permeated everywhere, right? It could be, it could be. You know, and, and you know, with you, while you were talking about it, it just kind of reminded me ages ago of there was a, a great um, speech on YouTube from uh, Seth Godin. And he was talking about the inventor of bread, mm. and he died broke, right? He he was totally flat broke. He invented bread, died flat broke. The ones who brought bread into you know everyone's life was Wonder Bread. Yeah. With the way the with their marketing, with you know the you know when you think of toast, when you think of you know now I can't remember their slogan, but it was in my head forever. Everyone knows it. Oh, the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? Mm. Like that that kind of thing. So nobody really, really wanted bread until Wonder Bread. Yeah. Until Wonder Bread came along, right? So I'm, I'm wondering if this is kind of a, along the lines the same thing with VR. Like we've had VR forever. Yeah. And you know, even when, even when we were kids, you know, you remember the really old goofy headsets and and VR stuff they used to have, and they were, you know, they were, I don't want to say, well, they were pathetic. They were pathetic to what's available today, right? But, I mean, that's understandable given the, the technology difference, right? But 
you know, uh, you, 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 you still had the same visionaries back then who, who could see, you know, what this was capable of, of giving mankind or giving your business or just giving your, your everyday life. But yeah. it, it never really took off, right? Yeah. Well, what I explain really... to my kids is that a lot of stuff really takes a couple generations to kick in. So yeah. even when we talk about, you know, all the kids who were inspired by Star Trek, right, the original series, communicators, all those things. Yeah. Well, so they started building a wave in the 80s, right? That was really when they got there. That's when they were in their 30s and 40s and were introducing these things. You know, and sure, we got cell phones, stuff like that. But even cell phones didn't really hook until another generation later. That's right. That's right. right. It took, you know, it didn't, it didn't take 30 years. It took 50 to 60. Right, right. And so in VR terms, you know, maybe maybe this time we're at the front edge of that that second 30. Yeah, maybe we're at the Wonder Bread. Yeah, but that still means that, you know, my youngest daughter, she's going to be in her 40s before this is an everyday thing that nobody thinks twice about. That's right, that's right. right? And it could, I suspect it'll be the same with a lot of, you know, alternative energy and electric cars or whatever they might be. That we're, we are, we're still talking about 30 years. We're not talking about 10. Right, right. Well, and, and I mean, for another comparison there is solar panels. I mean, they're, they're slow, they're still slowly kind of permeating, but I still don't see them. I've, you know, I still, I still have yet to see anybody residential in any of the streets I've gone through here. You know, maybe other cities completely different. Maybe there's, there's more advanced kind of neighborhoods in Vancouver or Toronto or Montreal or something. But here in Calgary, no, there's still, I barely see any solar panels anywhere. I yeah, know, but, I know but, they're but there. I know in they're Calgary, there. it's supposed to be the man keeping them down, right? That's what Calgary <laughs> is. Right? It's, it's the man. <laughs> he wants you to use the heating oil. Uh, so, but I, you know, part of solar panels, though, is even you as a consumer today, you could put them on your house if you wanted. That's right. But, but why not? Well, so the costs are not intensely low yet. You still have to go out and get a crew and do all these other things. Yeah. You still have to make some very real changes inside your electrical system that requires other specialists. I don't I don't think a lot of people are hugely concerned about the economics. You know, like the mass consumer. You're not going to sit there and go, well, I might do this if I can sell back to the grid and whatever. You're like, look, right. does this save me 40 bucks a month or doesn't it? That's right. That's right. That's really or how, mu thing. How, much of a, how much of a headache is this, you know, I mean, is, it, is this like uh, remodeling my kitchen to get the, to get these panels put yeah. in? Or is it, or is it buying a new TV, right? Yeah, and that, and that's just it. So once it's at the buy TV experience, right, where somebody's like, look, just just put this film on your window. Yeah. Right. Put yeah. this film on your window. Plug it into the socket. Done. Right. You know, you you bought it bought it at Best Buy for ten bucks. It saves you two fifty a month. Right. You're like, great. Yeah, done. Let's no, do it. You know, and that's yeah. that's what people want. That's what people when we talk about things like the iPhone. That was the key there too, is that it really is about. You know how does how does mom use this? Yeah. Right, the guy next door that you're pretty sure is an idiot. You know how do you how do you get this in his hands? And that's what mass adoption is. When you're comfortable having an idiot walk into the store and buy your product. Right. Right. And everyone is some idiot for some product. We all have to admit that. Yeah. But that's the test. And so when we talk about nerd products, that's really what we're missing. And but you know so when we come back to IDEs again, maybe that's part of what we're talking about. You know all of the kids who are going through the code camps right now and these new academies and everything else, you know, a lot of them are on Macs. And I think you and I talked about this offline a while back. I was helping a girl try and get set up and we had to install, we had to install node for her. We had to install 
whole bunch of dependencies. Uh, we had to install with the tools in the Mac POW. Maybe one of those kinds of tools so she could run like the local web server. Right, right. And she was going through step after step after step to get homebrew and like everything running, you know, because she'd, she'd learned, and part of the problem with the school is she'd learned very one specific way to start That's running, right. start developing and go on. But nothing we installed for her was really complicated. Yeah. And at the end of the day, she wasn't using Visual Studio. She wasn't using anything. She was using Notepad. So again, why not for what she's doing, code pen, everything just runs in the background and maybe the best thing I have to do to help her is go glue, glue, glue. Yeah, and you know, maybe we'll get there again. Maybe we'll 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 kind of get to that JavaScript. I know a lot of people cringe, but JavaScript as VB. Yeah. Well, so what about Swift though? Where we do right? Like, why did you know Swift was brand new? Yep. So you know, I assume I assume Swift exists. You know, I haven't used it yet, but I assume you have to still have to go out and get Xcode and do all these things to make Swift work. Yeah, there. Yeah, there is still a, uh, a dependency on those kind of tools, but you know, you're right. They kind of approach it as you know, they give you a, instead of a, um, a storyboard that you drag and drop on. But it, it's kind of the same type of thing where it's 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 a much more like side by side editor mm. with what you've got. So you've got your Swift code on your your you know on one side, and then on the other side, you've got it updating and showing results of what you're doing. You can have that that instant feedback, right? Yeah. So that could definitely be done off-site. That could be streamed. Yeah. Well, right? but the thing is, and a lot of this stuff we're talking about is APIs. Yeah. And APIs, when we, when we talk about building APIs, whether you're using Node or Go or anything else, to really be like, oh, I need to write this locally, least, you know, especially if we're talking about Go and Node, right? I need to type all this in locally and push it and put it through the CI system. What's the point of that? Yeah, yeah. Well, and to take a step back of what you were, you were mentioning before about helping your friend set up her instance and getting everything going there, I mean, why aren't these, why aren't more of these companies providing, you know, AMI images right there on their download page? Yeah. You know, here's a, you know, instead of, you know, choose your Windows or Mac or or a Linux distribution to download the the right binary for, why not just an AMI? Yeah, well, that's where Docker is going. You're right, right, and and I, you know, I, I think we're we're at that stage where I think we're ready. Where I think we're ready for that, where it's just a one button. Here it is. Here's a cloud. You know, a full image of what you wanted. Yeah. Everything everything is set up, ready to go. You don't need to fiddle. You don't need to, you know, go through config files or, uh, um, you know, double check permissions on where you're installing this to. You know, I mean, um, Apple. I think Apple took the, the the install kind of install shield that Microsoft started back, you know, 80s, 90s, whatever it was, when Microsoft started the install shield stuff, that was one step closer. But then Apple took that into much more of a one-button type of installer setup with their DMG. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the, the disk images, I think, are a great idea. I'm actually I'm actually kind of surprised that that didn't really catch on on the other platforms. I No, I totally agree. I totally agree because it was, it was, a, it was a great step after dealing with you know, um, and it must have been Microsoft's lawyers. <laughs> it must have been their legal, because I mean, you go through the installers on their platform, and it's you know, it's just next, 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 next. Do you agree to these terms? Do you agree to those terms? Do you agree to more terms? Do you, how about these terms? And how about our partners' terms? Right. Yeah. So you're you know, ten pages of terms that nobody reads, and and you know, I mean, Apple and and all the others still provide those because um, they have to, but you know, they don't. They kind of try and give you the the best 
experience by default rather than defaulting to the worst experience, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and maybe until it breaks, right? Yeah. And maybe that's part of it. So, like, you know, the Windows universe, right? Like, the, the stuff that's installed is supposed to be in program files. The stuff yep. that it outputs is supposed to be in documents and settings. Yeah. Right? Yep. And so you can keep, supposedly, you keep documents and settings as part of the profile on the network, right? And then if you need to re-image the whole machine, go ahead. That's, right. of course, a lot harder to do on a Mac. Yeah, yeah. No, right. and, and I think they've been trying to get there with their with their Apple Cloud, their iCloud. Yeah. But even then, I mean, their their iCloud, it's it's almost, it's, it's a lot more than just settings to me. Um, I haven't gone into everything that you can sync up to their cloud, but it's almost uh, you can you can put your time your time machine back up into the cloud, like dir- directly onto iCloud and everything. Mm-hmm. So it's cool. We're getting there. IDEs getting there. Yeah, yeah. Well, just keep keep typing your text into your local box. Yeah. Well, and and I mean, if you keep if if every developer keeps running around, you know, proclaiming how awesome they are with just Notepad or Sublime. Then sooner or later, companies are going to be like, "Why are we? Why are we investing so much into each person's machine?" Yeah, right. If all they're using is is if all they're using is Sublime or Notepad, <laughs> what's this invoice for? You know, a ten thousand dollars you know computer. You know, like yeah, <laughs> yeah. I need I need an air that has no you know no spinning parts, right? So that I can use an XML JavaScript editor. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> so that's pretty wild. So so we're we're halfway to Utopia. Yep. It's just going to take a generation. That's I think that's where we got to. Which I don't know. I don't know if I'm exactly happy about that. I guess I'm happy for my kids, but what about us? Uh, you'll be dead soon enough. <laughs> no no worries there. You'll be you'll be replaced. You you have to be out of the technology business anyway. You're the one holding us back. That's right. That's right. right. I'm you've, the anchor. You've downloaded installed everything. You've yep. gotten us nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to say, it's all it's all your fault. So that's that's what I expect you to do this week. Now I expect you to work remotely. Yep. All right. We'll get you we'll get you DigitalOcean box for five bucks a month, and all your code runs remotely now. There we go. There we go. Can't be that hard. I can close down everything on my desk. Exactly, and then and, but then you can just write code from your iPad. Yep. Right. That's what you want. You know, that's that's a that's a text input experience that you want to live <laughs> with for for fighting semicolons all day. I'm sure. It'll work. It'll work. Right, but then we can go back to Blackberries with the keyboards. Yeah. Right, and and I'll admit, actually, I, I, I so many many years ago, I was on vacation. I was actually out here, and quite seriously, I had to install an SSH, and I had to hop through a couple different boxes to get back. And I was changing code, hacking away on my Blackberry. Good gracious. That was that was kind of wild, right? But at least you could type on it. Right, so it wasn't like it wasn't great, but I think I, no, I was in Stanley Park. That's what I was. I was like fighting a. A raccoon or something in Stanley Park while I was changing the code, and the kids were in the playground. It's pretty wild, but you know I got it fixed, and that's how it goes. But that's awesome. I don't know if it's harder or easier to do that now. I don't. I don't really want to try. Yeah. Well, it'll be you know the the next heroes will be debugging from their Apple Watch. Right. Right. So. That's what that's what series for, isn't it? Right. <laughs> Fix bugs. <laughs> isn't that how it works? That's right. Deploy to prod. There we go. So, but no, hey, so before we'll leave off on that. So if you remember, there was another post this week about the MIT software. Those MIT guys are causing all kinds of trouble. Those MIT yeah. software that could go into old compiled code and fix bugs for you, right? And update the stuff. Did you see that oh, one? That's right. 
Yeah, I never read it, but I saw the headline. And yeah, I, so so I thought it was pure link bait. So I, I was I didn't want to touch it because I thought it was just link bait. Oh no! So it'll actually. So the example they give is something like Photoshop, right? That has oh, a bunch cool. of filters and stuff in it. Yeah. Without decompiling it, they'll actually go in. They grab all the symbols. Their code figures out what it does, what all the pattern is, and then we'll just replace that part directly. Wow. So nobody rewrites it for three months. The software just goes, oh, we can update this to take advantage of this architecture. Blop. And in a day, supposedly, a piece of software can be 500% faster. Wow. So, And they compare it against having, you know, three of you for three months. That's right. Who needs me? Yeah. Exactly. You're, you're absolutely useless now, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> so... This is our only skill now is witty internet banter. That's right. That's right. Well, we, we've gone from a dystopian future to more of a... Uh... Unemployed... Yeah, Waste Eric, you just no longer need a period, right? Like, <laughs> the rest of us are fine, but you're not going to be. <laughs> That's how it goes. We still, the, the auto workers, hey, they'll save turning, us. Thanks for turning the circle in that direction. No problem, no yeah. problem. It's, well, but, you know, you not writing software, that's a bit utopian. Yeah. Right? Maybe not for you, but for the rest of us, you know. That's, <laughs> that's a great, great future, I think. So, I think, I think this week we'll... We'll stop here. We'll leave you on the unemployment line. Thanks. Yeah, and we'll... I'll, I'll just go get my, uh, my 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 tickets and cards to get some uh, toilet paper and cereal. There we go. Exactly. It'd be great. And we'll pick up next week, and maybe we'll talk about some uh, management skills. Seems a good way to go. You know, if you can't yeah. if you can't write code, everyone else. I got to manage everyone else on the unemployment line. Exactly. All your all your children who are programming in the cloud. We've got to talk about yeah. how to manage them and, and keep track of what they're doing. That's right. So otherwise, Sounds great good. show. It's good to see you tonight. Yeah. Same here, Jeff. Okay, bye-bye. Have a great one. Thanks for listening, everyone. Cheers. Have a great week. Bye.